gondolas and high-seed trains. This week, Mike Nickel again escaped censure after a supermajority vote for his sanction. Again. Is the process broken? Certainly not. And city facilities again escape parking fees. Is our user pay system broken? Oh, certainly not. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 137, where we're once again recording inside of a heat warning. But we had that brief reprieve in the middle. It's like the brief reprieve we experience between Mike Nichols sanction hearings. You forget (laughs) that it's coming back, but... It's always just lurking. Gotta enjoy it while it lasts. But no temperature is as hot as the rapid fire segment. The transit redesign is continuing to adapt, with several changes being made on June 27th based on rider feedback. The changes were listed on the City of Edmonton website in order of importance to transit management. Essential shift workers and changes to accommodate them ranked 7th of 9th on the list. Predictably, number one was moving a timing point so that a bus didn't block a driveway in Windermere, and number two is a change to shorten a layover on, you guessed it, St. Albert Trail. Edmonton is working to fix issues with their new waste collection system after thousands of homes, mostly in southwest Edmonton, were missed. However, while the city promised to pick it up the next day, for some residents, that didn't happen, leading to frustrations and residents having to leave their garbage in front of their house for many days. Speaking Municipally was able to confirm this week that the problem is indeed widespread. Driving around neighborhoods, we were still able to spot Mike Nickel signs on front lawns. Kingsway Mall is saying that their landing of a new anchor tenant, quote, reinforces the momentum Kingsway is experiencing as a leader in the retail industry, end quote. Of their new anchor tenant, Kingsway Mall said, and this is a real quote, the addition highlights the shopping center's investment in creating a first-class shopping destination that connects the community with brands that meet wide-ranging needs, end quote. It's a Walmart. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this episode is brought to you by the Alberta Association of Optometrists, proudly celebrating a century of caring for Albertans. It happens. Many people don't call their optometrist first for urgent eye care when they need it. From spring cleaning mishaps to winter eye infections, if you or your family have an eye emergency, doctors of optometry are trained to diagnose, treat, and prescribe medications. No referral necessary. And just a reminder, Alberta health coverage is available towards your urgent eye care appointment. To find an optometrist in your area, visit optometrists.ab.ca. The Alberta Association of Optometrists represents 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across the province. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide primary eye health and vision care to Albertans. Learn more at optometrists.ab.ca. Can we talk for a minute, you know, blurring the lines between ads and podcasts here, why do we need to advertise health services? Because, like, I learned something from reading this ad. I didn't think that you could, like, bill your eye care appointment yeah. yeah if you stick a piece of metal in your eye like i assume i want that to be covered but like i didn't think i could go to an eye doctor and bill it to alberta health it seemed like dentists or can you bill emergency dental surgery to alberta health i don't think so we'll have to find out but you can do certainly bill urgent eye care appointments so this is an educational podcast <laughs> thank you for advertising with the alberta podcast network alberta Association of Optometrists. You have taught us a lesson, though perhaps in future ads, if you could include 
essays and documentation about the entire billing network. Maybe maybe we could read those as fine print very quickly. <laughs> okay. All right. Shilling for optometrists aside, we had another big event this week. Do you know what it's about? July 5th came along and part two of the sanction hearing of Mike Nickel came to pass. That's right. The very first sanction hearing took place back in September. Council failed to issue a letter of reprimand or any kind of censure. The second one took place a couple of weeks ago. This was related to those four e- four complaints about email addresses that Mike Nickel and his team took these email addresses from City Business and used them for campaign benefit, which is against the rules. And this third sanction hearing was again for social media complaints. And one of the two complaints this time actually came from Mayor Don Iveson. Mayor Iveson went sort of at length to explain his justification for filing the complaint in the meeting. And essentially it was because the nature of this complaint was Mike Nickel was bullying and intimidating people who had filed previous uh, complaints. And in this case, one of Andrew Nack's staff members was one of the people that was being intimidated for filing a complaint. And in consultation with her and with Councillor Nack, Iveson said, look, I'm, I'm a mayor. I can take Mike Nickel. I'll file the complaint on your behalf so, you know, I can take the body blows for this, but we can still file this complaint because this is, you know, against the code of conduct. It's not okay. Right. And it kind of got extrapolated in the conversation during the hearing to to be like, if you vote in favor of the sanction, you care about all 14,000 city employees and you want to make sure there's a safe workplace. And if you don't, if you vote against sanctioning Mike Nickel in this instance, then you maybe don't care as much. And at least that's how Tony Caterina felt. He was quite uh, upset about the framing of the issue and, and must have said it, I think, 13 times in his five minutes that he really does, he really does care about all 14,000 employees. He just couldn't find it in, in his heart for a third time to point out that Mike Nickel did something wrong. And now generally, you know, I'm against sort of the like, oh, think of the children's slippery slope arguments when you're talking about issues. Generally, I like to talk about the issue at hand, not what the issue represents. Hmm. But in this case, it's not really representative. This is a city employee. I get It's a counselor's employee, so I mean, technically not employed by the city of Edmonton, but it's like an employee of City Hall being bullied and harassed by a counselor. How is this not a clear-cut issue? I think that's how most people who were watching the hearing felt. This should be pretty clear-cut. Lots of the other counselors who spoke to it basically said what you just said. Like, you know, I don't understand how we could not do something in this case. Like, maybe, you know, the, the emails thing is bad, but, you know, we can live with that or whatever. But the workplace has to be safe. And we should point out that this is the sanction hearing. This is council's opportunity to decide on a penalty. The integrity commissioner has already determined that Mike Nickel violated the code of conduct. That was not in question. It wasn't a thing for council to address. It was for them to decide what they should do about it. Many counselors went through great pains. I'm thinking specifically of John Zadick and Mo Banga. In all of their comments, they're basically like, the integrity commissioner has ruled that this is violated. So this has definitely violated our code of conduct. However, this hasn't violated our code of conduct. A lot of the arguments against sanction, because, you know, the nature of punishment is that, you know, if you break the rules, you get the sanction and the sanctions they were proposing were letters of reprimand. They were literally nothing. Right. So to argue that one shouldn't be punished is to argue 
in my mind, that the person didn't break the rules. Didn't Zadik or Banga also argue essentially that he's already faced the penalty enough by this being in the news? You know, usually Mobanga, we can't even derive sense from him. And his point was still nonsensical. But in this regard, it was at least coherent. You could understand what he was getting at. And what he was getting at was that we've already wrote news articles about Mike Nickel violating the sanction process. So that's punishment enough. And to an extent, I don't disagree. The News articles are definitely more punishment than the letter will ever be. But that's not what the sanction hearing was is about. This is about saying that our code of conduct means anything at all. And it's very clear after this meeting that it does not. Yeah. And actually, I think it was the mayor or maybe one of the other counselors who said that he, you know, and this is why Michael Walters was previously so frustrated. Like they they sort of suggested Nickel wants this to happen. He wants this negative press because he can use that in his, you know, campaign efforts or in, in his efforts to be seen as the opposite uh, to, to the current council or to the current mayor. So, I mean, Banga's argument, I suppose, makes sense. But I mean, if you really stop and think about it for just half a second, Nickel's relishing the, the, the negative attention that has come out of this. This goes to Nichols' response, which I'm not sure if you saw the video. Uh, it was tweeted out. So, you know, I, I wasn't sure I was going to win today. So <laughs> we fought. So the worst thing they could do to me was censure me and send me a letter reprimand. And then they could kick me off my committees. But anyways, I had we bought a frame. We, we bought a frame for our, for a letter of reprimand. I was going to hang it on my wall. But I guess that's not going to happen now. So, hmm. <laughs> I just shake my head. Sure, you can argue, oh, Nickel wants this attention. Nickel's already got the attention. Yeah. You're not damaging him, nor are you benefiting him. You're simply just upholding the code of conduct. That's a fair point. Okay, so on these sanction hearings, it's not a simple majority vote. It's a super majority, which means two-thirds of all councillors must support the motion. On June 24th, that previous sanction hearing, it failed with a 7-4 to four vote. There was Cartmel, Katarina... Banga and Zadik, who voted against it. This time it also failed, though we did have a change in the votes. Yeah. And as a reminder, it is two thirds of all councillors, not all councillors present like typical votes, but two thirds of the entire assembly of 13. So you need nine votes to win. So we know Nichols voting no, essentially, is what you're saying. Yes. Like he's not there, but it doesn't matter. An absent vote is assumed to be no. It's not clear when you're watching the live stream with how it currently operates because you can't see pictures in a room and, you know, there's only so many squares in the Google Meet. It's not clear mm -hmm. who's present and who's absent. So for majority of the meeting, it wasn't clear that Councillor Michael Walters was absent from the meeting to a viewer of the stream. So when Councillor Cartmel switched his vote, when he was speaking to it saying, you know, he was of two minds, but... He was really swayed by all the people saying that because he was voting against sanction, he supported Nichols' actions. He said, that's absolutely not the case. So when he switched his vote, that was a big deal because I can count to nine. And without Cartmel's vote, there's nine who would vote to sanction. Right. Because we assume Walters would have voted to sanction. Of course, what actually happened was... Michael Walters was absent. He had texted the mayor that there was a family emergency and he was unable to attend. So the vote ended up failing eight to four. And this is where I have to take beef with the eight members of city council who I am comfortable at this point calling stupid. 
you could sense the frustration in Mayor Iveson's voice when he like realized that Councilor Walters was absent, so he wasn't going to get to the nine votes. And he understands Robert's rules. And why none of the eight didn't switch their vote to no baffles me. Because let's just let's just imagine two competing scenarios here. One is that Cartmel legitimately switched his vote. But while we were talking about the meeting, you speculated that given that Walters was absent, that might not actually be the case. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty clearly against the last sanction and the one before that. It was a big surprise to me to have him switch his vote to a yes. And I, I kind of hear his argument that he doesn't want to be, you know, lumped in with being a Mike Nichols supporter. A few of the councillors said that. But it did look a little opportunistic to say, oh, well, Walters isn't here. This vote is going to fail. I can vote yes. And then I get to say in the upcoming election that I did vote to sanction even if I didn't. I mean, this is the same councillor who was going to make a motion to not have any more sanction hearings until after the election. It, it was a bit out of character, I think, for him to all of a sudden want to sanction Mike Nickel. And I don't think you're off base with that. Councillor Cartmel was trying to have his cake and eat it too. Yeah. And what frustrates me is that he went in with a bluff. If they were playing poker, any of the eight at the table could have called his bluff and severely punished him politically for it. And all they have to do is vote not to sanction Mike Nickel. And the reason I'm saying this is that Robert's rules of order in how we implement them in city council very clearly state that if you are on the losing side of a motion, you cannot relitigate that motion for, it's a period of, I believe, a year or when terms switch over. But if you are on the prevailing side of a motion, you can make a motion that conflicts with that. Um, and, you know, you can go back on your decision. You can relitigate that decision. So if any of the eight had just simply switched their vote to, no, I don't want to sanction Mike Nickel, next week, when Councillor Walters is present, they can open another vote to sanction Mike Nickel. They can relitigate that because they were on the prevailing side. And either the sanction passes because you know, Councillor Cartmel is trapped mm -hmm. or you've called Councillor Cartmel's bluff and he has to switch his vote back to a no. And that's the story of how much of a hypocrite and opportunistic person he was trying to be. Why did no one do this? Don Iveson knows the rules like the back of his hand. Why did this not come to his mind? Fascinating. I didn't even think of that. Uh, I suspect it was heat of the moment for everybody in there. Frustration with having a third sanction hearing fail that probably made them not think about something quite as strategic as what you've just outlined. That is a very intriguing suggestion, though. If you're listening, counselors, and you're slapping your head thinking, oh my God, I should have texted Troy during the meeting, <laughs> consult with the clerks. I'm curious whether Counselor Walter's absent position mm. means he was on the prevailing side of the motion. Is he able to relitigate this motion, given that he was absent and treated as a no vote? I think that's an interesting thing to pursue. Definitely. Don't they do a roll call at the beginning? Wouldn't everyone have known that Walters wasn't present? Probably the people in the room all knew Walters wasn't present. Yeah, that's what I, I didn't know because uh, the nature of the roll call would mean it's like happening exactly at 930 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. OK. But we'll leave that off to the side. We will not deal with a sanction hearing again unless a counselor is very clever and takes my sweet, sweet advice. Sanction hearings, we're now in the quote-unquote blackout period, so there will be no more sanction hearings or indeed any more integrity investigations until after the election. We are now fully into election mode until October 
18th or 19th? Do you know when the election is? 18th. 18th. Huh? You are a better journalist than I. <laughs> but we can focus on uh, one of the other things that failed this week, which was reimagined services. And I suppose failed is all a matter of perspective, but you won't have to pay for parking at city facilities is sort of what we have come up with. Yeah, I mean, this was not a surprise. Uh, we knew that they were going to vote against this. Uh, just a quick recap here. The city had proposed 18 recommendations to try to save some money. Um, one of them was the one that got all the headlines, which was about making you pay to park at certain River Valley parks or other attractions. That one didn't go through as expected, although it is interesting that it will be coming back. So apparently there is a new larger public parking policy that will be brought before council sometime next spring. And council this week decided they would like to talk about this idea at that point. So that does two things. It kind of tells administration what we already all knew, which is that this is a political nightmare and nobody, none of the councillors want to support it. It also means it's a problem for the next council because it's next year. And as a reminder, these 18 recommendations uh, for reimagined services, this was 18 recommendations to save around $16 million over five years. Yes, this is a 1% reduction in the tax levy over the five-year period. And the city manager, Andre Korbold, said that it's important to find efficiencies and savings wherever possible. But we talked about this before. Why did we look into these five services instead of, oh, I don't know, the biggest part of our budget, the police budget, or, you know, all of the software agreements that council knows nothing about and blindly approves that are tens of millions of dollars? I do wonder as well, you know, 16 out of 18 recommendations did go through. And it's... It reminds me of when you're, you know, a teen not wanting to do the dishes. What you do is you do the dishes very, very poorly, and then you don't get asked to do the dishes again. You sort of draw <laughs> attention away from the real issue. It, could this not be that? Could they not have put this parking poison pill so that everyone rallied against this one thing and the rest go by unnoticed? Because in general, these 18 recommendations all are broadly privatization. It's stuff that we have talked about before. It's privatization of services. We paid a consultant almost a million dollars to tell us, do this thing that we already know doesn't really work and you can save a bit of money ostensibly by making work environments worse and lowering benefits for employees. I don't know. The whole thing didn't pass the sniff test to me. I think it's an interesting suggestion. I think it would be more likely if the any of those 16 recommendations were like kind of hidden but big ticket items like they really wanted to get them done and so they put this other one out here to distract but it, i mean they're all really kind of boring behind the scenes ones <laughs> except for you know golf courses to be privately run which i think is a great decision i don't think the city of edmonton needs to be operating golf courses itself i don't think golf courses need to operate in general but point taken <laughs> so so maybe but you know i mean that was my my first issue with the whole reimagined services they picked fire rescue services and fleet and management services, things that people don't really get all that upset about in the first place. Like if you can find some efficiencies, why don't you just do it? And that's the other interesting thing about this. Administration could have just done all 18 things. None of them required uh, city council approval, but council felt strongly enough about the two of them, uh, the paid parking and also a proposal to reduce the you know, the number of pumper trucks at fire stations to be used with a medical response unit instead. 
again, see, nobody cares. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, they felt strongly enough about those two that they voted against them. Now, obviously, I'm mean, being a bit facetious. People care about safety and fire and all of that kind of thing. But it's not something that is typically in question. And I think if you asked most citizens, they would say, yeah, we should probably make sure we're funding fire safety well enough. They didn't even ask for permission to do this. The recommendation was to receive the report for information. Right. The city administration was just saying, hey, heads up, we're doing this. Yep. And, you know, I suppose this is the benefit of the hey, heads up process because council could react to it. Is this different than the start of the podcast? If you go back, you know, the three years to when we started the podcast, administration was taking some body blows. There were things like plaques being removed from benches, memorial benches, because, you know, there was upkeep costs associated with it. There was the uh, Horlack Park storage facilities for uh, Heritage Days that yep. City Admin was kicking heritage days out of and these were all decisions that administration was enfranchised to make and they didn't give council a heads up and it became stories and council had to react it doesn't feel like we're any different right now because it felt like this was the big panic pushback but i would argue that the system is probably better now from a procedural standpoint because they got that opportunity to say wait a minute we don't we don't think that's a good idea yeah in the public discourse yeah. of course it sounded like the decision was already made and council was reacting and going back on the decision but in reality it was hey here's a plan and city council said no i don't like that plan and everything was fine i think in general this is a good news story for yeah. uh, oversight but it sort of gets lost in the heated debate i think that's a good point yep i was going to say speaking of points or some sort of segue. But if I'm being honest, you've been following this next item about the Air Services Opportunities Fund more than I. So I don't know how to segue into this. Mac, tell us what happened with the Air Services <laughs> Opportunities Fund this week. I think we mentioned this before, but basically they wanted to set up this $15 million fund to help the international airport here in Edmonton attract flights back to the airport. And I and you know, when this first came up, it was council approving Edmonton's portion of the money. And then there was a whole bunch of other municipalities in the region that all needed to approve money. I believe we paid around 10 million. I seem to recall mocking a number around yeah. 10 million. Yeah, it was around that amount over over three years to fund this part of it. And it was, you know, proportional to the size of the municipality. And, and it's led by Edmonton Global, which already has a formula for this kind of thing. So we've now figured out that this is essentially done. They've raised 14.9 million, so almost the, the 15 million. And we know a little bit more about what they're planning to do with it now, which I thought was quite interesting. So the EIA reported 128 million in less in revenue last year because of the pandemic, and it lost 39 of its 52 direct flights, which is a lot of flights. Now, we didn't have a great deal of high-profile direct flights coming out of Edmonton. Uh, some of the small regional ones have started to come back, but they're kind of arguing that there's this window of opportunity right now where airlines are planning their routes coming out of COVID and they want to set them for a couple of years. And so we should take advantage of that. And I guess dangling a little bit of money in front of them is, uh, is one way to do that. Um, but the two things that really kind of stood out to me about another reason why it's important to have these flights is, number one, cargo. So we're not obviously the biggest 
passenger airport in the country, but we do have a pretty strong and growing cargo business that comes out of our airport and out of the Edmonton region. And about half of the cargo, apparently, that comes in these planes is in the belly of passenger planes. So when we lose these direct connections, we're not just losing passenger flights, we're losing cargo. Those Amazon Prime deliveries are going to be two days instead of one day now, right? Possibly, although we just opened that robotic warehouse here, so I don't know. But one of the things that's interesting to me about the cargo is that, you know, it's not just boxes and things like that, but flowers. <laughs> so we lost a connection to Europe through KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines, and that affected apparently, according to Edmonton Global, our food and egg sectors, but also flower stores, because all of these kinds of flights like that one that we've lost, they import flowers from other places, the Netherlands, Ecuador, Colombia. And so apparently flower stores in Edmonton have been struggling with supply issues because of this. I had no idea. Neither did I. I'm glad we transitioned into this topic because I learned something. Yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating. I mean, I don't think we have a huge flower industry. I don't know that our flower industry is worth like 10 million of government subsidies. But, you know, as an example, right, there's probably a lot of other sectors when you start to add it up where that could be an impact. What's the next step for this? Uh, They've funded this organization. When does this money start to take effect? What happens next? Well, the most immediate next thing we understand is that Edmonton Global is working on a sort of policy framework or something to ensure that the money is well spent and that all of the partners know how that money is being spent. It sounds like they may also need to continue to try to attract some more money because some of the municipalities only committed to one year instead of three years, which they had originally requested. So they're going to continue to try to shore up the funding support, and then they'll start to spend it to try to get airlines to consider Edmonton when they're planning these new routes. While we're on the topic of updates to things we've covered in the past, last week we talked about the Hyperloop uh, with, you know, much lampooning, as the Hyperloop rightly deserves. But one of the conversations was about if we put a Hyperloop in now, we're never going to get high-speed rail. And I think, given the timing of the announcement, Elliston agrees with that assertion, so they made an announcement this week. This is fascinating. Elliston has apparently signed a memorandum of understanding with the province, and they propose a $9 billion high-speed rail line between Edmonton and Calgary with a stop in Red Deer. And, of course, their big argument here is that a Hyperloop is unproven wild and fantastical technology, whereas high-speed trains, we we know how those things work. When we're talking about high-speed trains, because, you know, it's hard to get a sense of these things, we're talking in the scope of like 350 to 400 kilometers an hour max speed high-speed rail. So it's it's fast. It's going, you know, almost as fast as that truck beside you on the QE2. <laughs> almost. <laughs> but I thought this was very fascinating because, you know, things like these aren't developed overnight. No, clearly this has been in the works for quite a while, but I think the timing of the announcement right after the Hyperloop got all this press can't be a coincidence and it has to be, oh, no, 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 no Hyperloops. Hyperloop did this big ostentatious pitch last week. Let's tell you the real pitch of what we can actually build. And interestingly, all of this is apparently private funding. There's no request at this point for sort of government subsidies. It's $9 billion privately financed and assumed to be privately operated. If it was to go forward right now, you know, it's a memorandum of understanding. There needs to be consultation with indigenous groups and landowners along any proposed alignment, which they haven't quite figured out yet. I always assumed a train would just 
go beside the QE2, but you know, that might not be true. I wonder if this is a similar kind of thing to Transpod, though. They originally came out and said that it was going to be, I don't know, still billions of dollars, but a lot less than the 30 billion that we learned about last week. Is this 9 billion total? Are we going to get another update in a couple of weeks that says, oh, now we've incorporated the land costs into that and the price of this rises? Probably, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Because the article's not clear on that. I am not opposed to the government gifting some crown land to a high-speed rail operation, assuming the government takes an appropriate equity stake in the project. Like, you know, I don't think that's a problem. And if it gets the thing built, because I'd be okay with the government building it in itself as a public project. Yeah. But I suppose we'll see on what happens next, what the next number is. The next steps for this is they're hoping if all goes well, construction starts in 2023 and seven to nine years later. So within a decade from now, we could theoretically get from Edmonton to Calgary in like an hour without On a, a train. Yeah. And it has a name, right? Prairie Link? <laughs> Prairie Link. And so now if you're thinking Ellis Dawn, is that related to... Uh, Jeffrey, the the good old guy we had talking on the podcast about his Prairie Sky Gondola. You're right. Same dude, same company. Prairie Sky Gondola, Prairie Link. Are they going for like the prairie infrastructure universe? Uh, are we going to have prairie ownership of Alberta? Is there going to be a new prairie party running for government next term based on infrastructure? I don't know. Probably not. But it's fun to think about. It is fun to think about. It's a big leap, no, from a gondola to a $9 billion high-speed rail line? Yeah, it's like a $9 billion leap. Um, <laughs> gondolas are rounding errors compared to high-speed rail, which again, sort of like, you know, if Ellis Don is finding funding for $9 billion for rail, I was wrong about the gondola. I think I might be able to admit <laughs> that at this point. Yeah, I think it's going to get built. No doubt. Uh, when we talked about Transpod last thing, you were critical of the pricing for one thing, right? If it's going to cost $30 billion to build it, it means the tickets are going to be expensive. It doesn't, we don't know how much it's going to cost to ride this train, but you think it'll be less just because it's lower construction. Right? Yeah. And so we had heard some numbers ballpark um, from the Hyperloop, I think after we recorded last week, where it would be around like $150 for a round yeah. trip ticket on the Hyperloop. So if you you know, construction costs, do some linear calculations, a third of that, 50 bucks round trip on a high-speed train, that's gas money going to Calgary. That could be very competitive. I, I could see myself riding that a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of people would. I'd be remiss with our last few minutes if we didn't talk about something else that a lot of people do most years. Uh, I think in 2019, it was well over a million attendees. Attendees being people who showed up, not like, you know, the entire population of Edmonton, but, you know, I'm talking about the fringe, okay? It was roundabout. <laughs> the fringe is cool. I like the fringe. That was what I was going for. And the fringe is happening again this year. It is going to be a hyper-local hybrid event from August 12th to 22nd called Together We Fringe, and it's celebrating 40 years of fringing. And I'm pretty excited about that. I was tuned into the live stream. It's significantly smaller in scope than any previous Fringe event. For example, in 2019, there were over 50 venues. This year, there will be eight. Yeah, there will be capacity limits in the venues. The actual Fringe grounds themselves will be, you have controlled entry with timed tickets. So, you know, it's not just about lounging around in the beer gardens, getting some green onion cakes. They're controlling capacity that way. Masks will be required both in the moving about the outdoor areas in all lines and in all indoor theater venues so it's 
very much a COVID acknowledging festival. It's not it's not a rodeo. It's not things are over, but it's we think it's safe enough to fringe again. And I'm pretty excited about that. I love how they said in their marketing this week that it closely will more closely resemble the very first fringe event in 1982 than the one we love and left behind in 2019. And I suppose they're talking about the size because social distancing and masking and all that stuff, I think will make it look very different than the first Fringe, but still, it'll be nice to have the Fringe happen again in 2021. They're not sponsoring us, but I'll shell tickets on sale August 4th. I don't know if there will be frequent Fringer passes available, but you can bet I will be on that website at exactly noon on August 4th finding out. And if they are, I'll be crashing that website just like I do every year at Fringe time. Oh, what a relief to be back. And we'll close with... you. Grown to love it at this point. It's the municipal election rundown. Uh, some stuff happened this week. And I think I, the place we'll start is Michael Oshry, who opened the floodgates for, I think, mayoral sniping. He is, I believe, the first mayoral candidate, short of Mike Nickel, who quote <laughs> tweeted another candidate and sniped at their policy platform. In this case, he was quote-tweeting Amarjeet Sohi's tweet about a new innovation fund plan for Edmonton. And Michael Oshry said, quote, How much, from where, are you going to raise taxes above your already proposed 6% increase to pay for this? Or take it from neighborhood renewal funding? Or dip into the EdTel fund that generates revenue? Our announcements always have the funding source included. Uh, but that's not true, apparently, because I saw your tweet. <laughs> Earlier that morning, Michael Oshry released a platform plank that was, hey, we're going to just arbitrarily reduce the uh, cost of pet licenses fees. And I asked him, well, what's the funding source? Is this still going to be cost recovery? He didn't reply to my tweet. But then several hours later said he always includes the funding source. So zero to 10, Michael Oshry, you have done nothing but disappoint since your incredible website launch. The website, very nice. The candidate, oh, needs some additional effort <laughs> what else was interesting uh, let me load it up and see you know as i'm reading the other uh items in this municipal election rundown you know what none of them are interesting to me and that is my promise to you these candidates they don't get our free airtime if you're boring candidates i'm not going to talk about you and that this week is you candidates do better one thing that never bores us, though, is our sponsors. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to Overdue Finds, an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Caroline Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Fines, head to epl.ca slash podcast. And that's all for this week. And that's all for the regular coverage of the comings and goings of Edmonton City Council. They are now officially on their constituency break, and we... You won't be leaving you. We'll be joining you in the upcoming weeks. But what about? I suppose you'll have to tune in each week to find out. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally. God, I'm so hot.